Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Great. Um, thank you, Eric. Uh, thank you, New Covenant. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor, honor to share with you how God's worked through my life and how he has uh, continued to draw me near in, in, our, in my relationship with him. Uh, just a little bit real quick. Um, probably early on in our journey of, uh, of parenting and um, the reality of desiring to be a parent, there was this uh, reality that I um, was probably a little bit more... Uh, OCD, pretty high driving, and I came to the point in time in my life where mentors in my life were saying, Brett, um, you, need to, you need, need to get alone. So really what happened with me when it came to solitude and silence and things like that, it was more of an, a, a, a essence of necessity where um, people said, no, Brett, you need to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to do this or you will not survive. So um, I remember doing it for the first time. I did a three-day solitude, and it was really early on, and it was a basically a, a retreat center over in um, Richmond, and I fasted, prayed through the whole time, and it's very intimidating because you're just like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I have no clue why I'm here. I don't know what's going on. So I'm like just starting, I'm writing everything that's coming out of my mind. I'm just writing everything because I just, it's just overwhelming. And then as I started to experience what a daily discipline of prayer was like, as I started realizing what that was like, I started seeing this river of, that I, of, of the spirit that was moving. And then I realized, okay, wait a minute. God created winters, springs, summers, falls, and all this. So I just have a quick question, a little poll of the audience. Who are our winter people here? Anybody here is a winter people? All right, a couple. I, I need to hear you too. I can't see you. So we got a few people. Good. I'm a winter person also, okay? Um, uh, spring. Who loves spring? You got more springs. Who loves summer? All right, a lot more summers. Anybody love fall? Yeah, fall's pretty big. All right, good. So basically what happens, what I've seen in my life is winter, spring, summer, fall is just this current of life, and there's really parts of our life, our spiritual life is the same way. So our spiritual life follows the same pattern. So there's this, let's talk winter first, that darkening, that cold, there's not much, there's no growth, everything goes down, okay? And it's like, ugh. Right? That's what, that's what all the summer people say. But all the winter people are like, yeah, finally, I finally can take a breath. So, the, the, uh, so then the spring comes and we start to see new life. Right? You start to experience new life and you start to experience life. So there, then summer, and then with the nice things about summer, like, hey, there's a lot of growth, there's a lot of activity, but also the heat starts to get to be overbearing. And it gets great, but it's also overbearing. Then the fall comes in these beautiful colors, beautiful colors. But then there's this reality that, oh, wow, guess what? Winter's coming. It's going to happen again, right? So that's what we're going to kind of walk through today in our, in our journey. And we're going to uncover, uncover the desire in all seasons of life. And what I'd like to do... Um, as, I, 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 as I open, I want to share with you guys how God has worked in my life as in my journaling experience, okay? And this is what I've done on my solitude times. So what you're going to see first here is um, this is my journal, my prayer journal, and just just scribbles, right? It's just a whole bunch of information I'm writing as I'm with, my, with God and my relationship with God. On the right-hand side is actually my um, self examine 
It's my exam that I was doing this. And this journal writes out, it's actually right here. It's uh, back from 2002. So this is 20 years ago. And this is uh, basically what I do. I, do, I go through a journal exam um, once a month. Uh, and I do this every, I, I do my prayer journal every day. So I have one, um, this is my one for this year. And I'll share a little bit from that. But I want to go into this because back in March of 2002, Paige and I had been struggling with infertility. Six years of infertility at this point in time in our journey. And I was reading in the book of Acts, and you'll see it up there, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. And it says this, and I'm going to have to sneak over here to read it. But it said, it is not for you to know the time and place. And here I am, we're struggling with infertility. And I write down, this is my thoughts through that. I don't know the time that I'll be a father and I'll be able to hear my child say, Daddy. But I do have a father in heaven and I can lean on him at all times because his time and his grace are sufficient. So then I took the Hear Journal concept that we're doing here as a church and I wrote it down in my prayer. Lord, thank you for listening to my tears and sharing your grace with me. You truly are present in my life. I need more of your love and power by your spirit, Lord, to impact souls for you. Fill me with more of you, dear Jesus. So that was my prayer that I wrote in my quiet time as I was praying from Acts chapter 1, verse 7. So I then, so then what happened is Paige and I, later on, is sometime in April, sometimes in May, she was um, driving to work. I was driving to work at a different spot, and we both heard the same radio station at the same time. And it was two different radio stations, but we heard the same message. We came home that night from work and said, hey, I heard this thing on adoption. You've got to be kidding me. I did too. And it was just like, I think we're supposed to adopt. So immediately we start moving in this process of adoption. And on, in July, we went to our first adoption meeting. And we were in Indianapolis. And at this adoption meeting, we were 100%, right, Paige? We were 100% committed to a domestic adoption. No options going out of country. No, not even considering it. Okay, and so we're sitting in this room, we're talking about this, and we're hearing what we're supposed to do to all the steps we have to go through. And they said, they passed this piece of paper around. It gets to me, and it says, toddlers ready to be adopted in Bulgaria now. And I, I, I couldn't, uh, Paige just like, pass it on, we're domestic, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get this paper, and I'm holding on to this paper, and I'm like, I couldn't let go. I couldn't let go. I could not let go of that sheet of paper. And I passed it on, and I walked into, we, Paige and I went into the car afterwards, and I said, Paige, I don't know what it is. I do not know what it is, but there's got to be something. I, we're supposed to move it. If, if the door's open, we should be going through this. So what happened then is we were active in youth ministry. We were very busy with young life at this time. And every single weekend was booked for the next six months. And we said to ourselves, there's no way. We don't have time to do this. We can't make this happen. And she, she said, wait, Brett, there's one weekend there. I said, well, we'll know we're supposed to be adopting this little guy, somebody, if that w And guess what? The international meeting was on the day the weekend we had open. And so again, immediately we start walking in the door. 
November 2002, traveled to Bulgaria to see Samuel for the first time. And here we are, holding him for the first time in 2002. Yes, I had hair back then. So, um, and my wife still looks as beautiful as she did back then. Um, so, but, but to me, what comes out of this, and I've seen this every time, and we'll talk about this more next week, is solitude experiences that I have and the silence that we have and the experiences we have with the Lord don't typically answer the prayer right when we're sitting there. The door, it just moves. So you start walking in that, you start walking in that river that I was talking about, the winter, spring, summer, fall, and you start to experience and see God working in this river. And the question is, are we listening to that river? Are we listening to what God's doing and inviting us to be a part of as we're exploring this? And so that's what we're going to do today as we dig into the word, is we're going to see Exodus chapter 3, Moses turning aside while he was living his life and and he experienced his intimacy with God. And we see, we're going to examine this, that God sees, God sows, and God shows. Okay, and we're going to break down the passage of Genesis chapter 3. And this passage, I'm going to spend the majority of the time on the first two sections. The last section, I'm just going to touch on just briefly. So before we do that, I'd like to ask a favor. If we will, oops, we live in a a spirit and time where we have this uh, um, uh, uh, very expensive creature that gets in the way sometimes. So what I would like you to do, if you are willing, this is an invitation, but if you are willing, if you have one of these in your pocket, and maybe you're distracted by it right now, uh, maybe you're not, um, but if you're willing, just pull it out, maybe put it on silence, and just come up and lay it on the altar. When we pick them up, you're not allowed to pick up somebody else's phone. (laughs) So as you guys are coming forward, thank you for uh, that. So what we are doing right now in this act of faith, which is very hard, is we are already recognizing that God sees our desire just like he saw Moses' desire in solitude and silence. And so we have to intentionally set aside the distractions of our lives in order to position our hearts and position our minds to receive what God may be having to say to us. And so we're going to see how God sees Moses, his desire within solitude and silence. Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 3, 1 through 2. Now Moses was keeping his flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. What was Moses doing right there? He was working. He was doing his job. He was in the field. He was working his shepherd job. He was doing his job. How many feel like you have to go to church to feel God? How many feel like you have to go to Sunday in order to experience God at work in your life? God is with you wherever you go. He is with you at your job 24-7. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. So God is with Moses on the mount when he came to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Again, how often 
do we think, we look at ourselves and what's a bush? It's something sitting next up to the house. It's something sitting next to uh, a church or whatever. And we look at that and say, man, if that was on fire, we're in trouble because the house is going to catch on fire. But my hunch is, is deserts are pretty dry places. There's quite a few bushes that probably can consume because of age and whatever. But the problem was different with this one, right? The different was something, it wasn't that it was burning that it was different. What it was different is it was not being consumed. The flames did not turn it to ash. Hmm. What happens in our lives? What should we be thinking about? How often do we miss the voice of God because we're just walking through and we're not going through moments and going, hmm, what is that about? Why is that happening? But we're so distracted, we're so focused, we're so overwhelmed, we're so stressed, we're so busy because we purposely don't take the time to set aside time and set aside solitude and pull ourselves to even see that God might be speaking to our lives. It was burning, yet it was not consumed. Principle number one, solitude and silence arrange space in our hearts, not for God, for wonder. Because when wonder starts to make us go, hmm, what's going on? Why is that happening? That's when God can start to speak to you. That's when God starts to reveal to you things that you don't know. It's not God's voice first. It's wonder first. Okay? And see here, what's interesting, this is an example of my solitude, one of my solitude places that I go to. It's a, a lake up in uh, Mill, Middlebury. And this is the sun rising up over a frozen lake in the dead of winter. There's no growth. There's no birds. There's no wildlife, but yet there was so much beauty. And I was sitting out watching, this is out the window one, one morning, and all of a sudden I'm like, huh, look at that. And the sun, it wasn't the sun coming over, it was the shadows first, and then the shadows just started moving. And I just watched the shadows move across the frozen pond. And the whole time I was watching, I'm going, okay, God, you're in this. I don't know how, but there's something going on here that I had never seen before. Because I stopped and I slowed myself down to hear what that voice was. So solitude and silence arrange space in our hearts for wonder. This is the sunrise that uh, um, Tom and Michelle will be seeing tonight, or sunset, I should say, Tom, that Tom and Michelle will be seeing tonight. Um, so this is a Hawaiian sunset, and I wanted to jump us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, verse 8, and then verse 13. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then that was, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. What comes first? Evening. Hmm. Hmm. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. What's interesting is anytime you do something that is 
um, or God, God is a countercultural God. He has to. He wants to speak to the to us through His Word, and He wants to speak to us through His nature. But what's interesting is how does our world live? Our world lives our lives as the day rises up. Hey, we woke up this morning. It's a new day. The new day actually begins with sunset, and the Jewish. The Jewish people teach this, and they live this. They live sunset is the start of the new day. That's why their Sabbath starts on Friday evening, okay? And so what does that mean for us is that any time we're starting to take, take initiative and take intentionality is we have to look at this and say, how are we going to be countercultural? How are we going to do things? How are we going to think about this differently so that our life is set up differently than the world's? And so... Typically, the best time, you know, the, best, the, the most critical influence, the most critical influence on how well you're going to experience God on Sunday morning is how early you go to bed on Saturday night. Yeah. Hands down. It's not the worship experience. It's not anything else. It's whether you're intentional about saying, what I'm doing Saturday night, the most important thing I can do is get to sleep. Because we start our day in this way. What do you start your day with? You start with evening. So what are you starting your day with? You're starting your day with rest. You start your day with rest. You begin your day with rest. And now you have a new life. You, have, you begin your day with rest. And so there's a, there's a lot of power here that we're not tapping into when we start thinking about this. And so I, I was talking to a friend recently about my most recent solitude I went on. And they were saying, how can you set a time aside? There's so much to do. And my response is this, I have to set aside the time because there's so much to do. I don't see it as recovery. I see it as preparation because I begin my day with rest. I begin the next quarter with rest. I cannot make it the next quarter if I don't take three days to rest to satisfy my soul's need to prepare myself for what God's going to do in my life for the next three months. And so what I've had to do as my ministry has grown and as I've started to discipline and grow in these disciplines, I've recognized like, okay, God, you got me to, I got a new, new expanse that I have to conquer. You've got me to do something new. How am I going to do it? The only way I'm going to do it is through his strength. And the only way I'm going to do it is to set aside my time ahead of time to prepare myself for the work that he has. 1 Kings chapter 19, 11, and 13, this is a common one. And for those of us in Indiana still, this is an Indiana sunrise. So, so, and God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, behold the Lord passed by in great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, what did he do? He wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He knew something was happening. Elijah, just like Moses, saw the wonder and the experience and said, ooh, there's something in this. And he stepped aside and he, and he noticed it. And it was not in the earthquake. It was not in the cracking wind. It wasn't in anything but the silent whisper of the Lord's voice. And Elijah said, excuse me, the, behold, the, came, the voice of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then him and Elijah had a conversation. Yep. Okay? So the first thing is wonder. 
The first thing is setting aside side, side time for wonder. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 3, the next passage. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. What does Moses do? He turns aside. He sees this and he turns aside. The principles too, God responds when we turn aside. Remember the first step is looking for wonder. But the second step is us taking the action and saying, okay, there's something here. Now I need to turn aside and look at this. And so God responds. Now, a lot of times it's good to have other scriptural references to back up pieces of this. James chapter 4, 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Who draws first? We do. We draw first. We have to turn the TV off. We have to turn our phones off. We have to turn the world off. We have to turn. Oh, I can't hear God. I can't hear God. God's not talking to me. God's not talking to me. But we're so distracted. We're so overwhelmed. We're so stressed because of the constant interruption and noise that we put in our face every single day. Do you guys realize that the 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 Cell phone, the average, the average, this is average, okay? So all of us who are less than this, and I, I probably on, during my workday is more, but the average person picks up their phone a minimum of 15 times every single hour. A minimum of 15 times an hour. How many of you, no, don't, don't, don't need to raise your hands, but how many have your phone right, that's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Okay, it's hard, it's hard not to, okay? I don't do it all the time, but I truly try to discipline myself to not look at my phone until after I've done my devotion. It's hard. I can tell you, it's hard. I really like to know who won the baseball game. <laughs> but then I get the texts, right? I like, and then it starts to interrupt what my spirit was ready to receive. And so we draw near to God and he will draw near to us. So let's jump into the second portion here. Moses turns aside. Remember, he, Moses is turning aside and is experiencing intimacy with God. The first, song, the first passage I wanted to show was that God sees us. God sees our intentionality that we're taking. Now we want to recognize God sows. What's he sowing? He sows. He looks like a farmer sows a seed into, our, into, into soil. He's sowing seeds into Moses' desire. And where does Moses' desire come from? Where does it bubble out of? It bubbles out of God's desire. And that's the reality of what we're going to dig into for the majority of the rest of our time. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry. 
because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing of milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people up, the children of Israel, the children out of Egypt. God hears your cry. God hears your cry. My wife and I, um, I shared six years of infertility before we adopted Samuel. Then we adopted Bryce. The infertility continued. Then we adopted Katima. The infertility continued. God hears your cry. 12 years, almost to the date, Paige is pregnant. 12 years, a long time. 144 reminders that I'm, we're not enough. And why, why aren't you answering our prayer, God? But yet God knew that those three kids needed to be adopted. God had a story that was bigger and different than the story that we had written. And so we had to recognize that our waiting, even though our desire was great, our waiting was for his glory, not for our story. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with when we recognize and we're waiting for healing. When we're we're waiting for a spouse's salvation. When we're waiting maybe for a godly spouse. Maybe waiting for a financial breakthrough. Maybe we're waiting for a prodigal child. And we ask ourselves, why do I have to keep waiting? Because God's story is greater than anything that we can imagine what we're trying to write in our own lives. And we wrestle with that. We understand, but God hears the cry of his people. He knows what our desires are. He hears, he hears this. And what's interesting is he sows his desire into us. Watch what happens. Now, what's interesting, we're going to go backwards. We're going to go backwards to Exodus chapter 2. And we recognize this. Now, remember, remember Moses, he was the little baby in the river that floated down, and then he grew up where? He grew up in Pharaoh's house. He grew up as an Egyptian. He's an, he's an Israelite. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He grew up with all these other people, and he realized, wait a minute, I'm not like you. And then what's he do? He sees the burden of his people. He sees the Israelites. One day when Moses had grown up, he's around 40 years old right now. He went out to his people and looked on, to the, on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way, he looked that way, and seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. He's got the right heart, right? His desire's right. He has the right burden, but he ain't right. He ain't doing it right. He's fully acting out of his flesh. When we went out to the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. So now there's two Hebrews fighting. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? So Moses is saying, why are you striking your fellow Hebrew? He answers, 
Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us like you did the Egyptian? <gasps> Caught in the act, right? Immediately, Moses recognized this as afraid, and he bolts. The thing is known. And this is when he goes out to, um, to the desert. He meets his wife, Zipporah. He gets hired on by Jethro. He becomes a shepherd for 40 years. What's funny is this paragraph is in the Bible, and it's 40 years long, Right? We don't see Moses raising his kids. We don't see Rose, Moses learning how to do anything. We don't learn anything about Moses' life other than the fact that this is 40 years in his life and he recognizes that, guess what? I got a lot to learn. And that's also the recognize uh, where we're at in our journey is we don't, our journey is, I want summer here now. It's winter. It's cold. I don't want to be experiencing this cold weather. I don't like three feet of snow. I don't like drifts. I'm cold. I want the summer sun. We, want, we don't even want the seasons. We want to jump straight to the warmth. We're a people that want every single desire we have to be immediately resolved now. And we, do, and we typically run to, to, to resolving that desire. But God is at work in our desires even when we don't see it. Even when we don't see it, God's at work in our desires. Ezekiel 36, 9, For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. All right, this is uncomfortable for me. I'm just going to share with this. Ready? Repeat after me. God is for me. Say it again. God is for me. Say it again. God is for me. So that is the reality. God is for you. He will turn to you, and you'll be cultivated and sown. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows what you want. He knows where you're at in your seasons of life, and he wants to be there for you. The question is, are we willing to position and arrange our hearts to hear God? Right? So this is where um, I think this is an interesting point here. What, what we find uh, in Exodus 3.11 is uh, we're bumping back, right? We're back into real time with Moses' story. Moses says to God, when God's saying to him about, hey, I've heard the cry of Israel, and Moses' response is this. Who am I that I should go? Who am I? Forty years earlier, he was killing a guy and saying, you're not moving fast enough. But now, 40 years later, he's saying... I ain't worthy. And God says, yes, you're right. You're right in the position. Your heart has matured. You've matured to the point where I'm ready to use you because I'm the one that's going to be glorified in this, not you. And that's what God does through his ministry. It's a spiritual, it's a sacred rhythm of transformation. He takes us on a metamorphosis journey where we go from a caterpillar, Moses at 40 when he's killing his own people, all the way to a butterfly. And we allow that process of 40 years to transform us and the seasons of life, of desires as they move, move through our life, we are transformed for his glory. What uh, Ruth Haley Barton says in her book, Sacred Rhythms, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transfer, transformation take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. That's all we can do. We have to acknowledge the spirit 
the journey. We have to acknowledge the process, and we have to acknowledge that it is a journey, and I want God with me every step of the way. So let's talk about desire. Let's talk about and understand what the four steps to uncover God's desire are. I'm going to go through them real quick, and then we'll dive into them deeper. First, we have to decide to desire, right? I asked you to do that by bringing your phones up here. How many want to know if somebody's texting you? <laughs> somebody's ringing that, hey, maybe, maybe so, right? Somebody's, somebody's trying to get a hold of it, and you can say, hey, that's okay. I was talking to God. That's what you can tell them. So step two, we have to delay the desire, which is what I just said. I asked you to do. I asked you to intentionally delay the desire of your cell phone. The third step is discover true desire. And the fourth step is understanding there's destiny in desire. So let's dive into each one of these. So this, some of you guys are not, I love the fact there are so many people that wanted to read this book, um, but some of you maybe not be readers, and here's your out, all right? Everybody loves an out when they don't like to be readers. In chapter one, it says this, stay with this chapter for as long as it takes for you to land on something solid within yourself to discover what it is that you really want. Is not until we have settled on our desires and named them in God's presence that we're ready to be guided into the spiritual practices that will open us up to receive what our heart is longing for. Okay? So you have permission to only read chapter one. All right? But when you sit on chapter one and you keep reading it and you keep reading it and you keep reading it and you say, wait, God, I'm waiting for a desire to hold up. And maybe it's this desire for my, my child to be saved. Maybe it's a, a desire for a spouse. Maybe whatever. Maybe, it's, maybe you're struggling with infertility and you, want, you have a desire for it to be a parent. And whatever that desire might be, you have to sit on that. Because once you have that desire, then you can understand the rest of the book. You will not understand the rest of the book until you have a desire that is unmet. And then you can step into solitude. You can step into scripture reading. You can step into prayer. You can step into self-examine. And then God starts to bring out of the transformation process that he wants you to go on and the journey that he has you on as a follower of Christ. So here's the steps to desire. Decide first. Allow for desire. And I did this, this actually as in preparation in my last solitude a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I did a fast as I was there. And I'm like, so I just basically said to myself, okay, what, what does this feel like? What am I going through? So I have to teach this. I have to experience it and so I can teach it. And then, so I'm like, man, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Whew, I'm thirsty. But I didn't drink. And so I sat. And I sat with it, and I sat with it, and I sat with it for quite a while. Boy, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and I acknowledged it. And then I pay attention to it with my man. Well, I'm thirsty. It feels weird. I should be able to just go get a glass of water, but I'm thirsty. Don't answer it. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. Wait longer. This is, again, why I need three days, because it, it really gives me the experience that I need. And then when you experience it, when you finally take that drink and you look back on it and go, oh, wow, the simplicity of water is amazing on how good it feels. 
wow. I can actually feel the water entering my stomach. That is weird to feel that. But we never think about it. We don't wait. We just guzzle it down and drink it down, and we hydrate. So the, desi- the, the decision to, to, decide, to, to desire is the first step. Uh, Ruth wrote this, Although the experience of longing and desire is often bittersweet, it reminds me that I'm alive in ways that I want to be alive. I thought that was a beautiful quote. Page 19. This one is interesting from Blaise Pascal. He's a mathematician from 1623. We're never living, but hoping to live. And whilst we are always preparing to be happy, I can't be happy right now, but when I get to this point in my life, then I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When I have a home, then I'll be happy. When I get a new car, then I'll be happy. When I get out of college, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. It's always then. It's not now. And we have to look at what God's saying to us and saying, I made this world to be enjoyed. I gave you life to be lived. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We never shall be so if we aspire to no other happiness that what we can be enjoyed in this life. And so this blaze says, hey, yes, enjoy this life, but recognize the real celebration happens in eternity. There's a lot of good that happens here on this side of the earth, but there's a lot better stuff that's going to happen in eternity one day. And there's this tension that we have to walk into as we transition to this next step is as we delay the desire. And we recognize that the delay of the desire brings glory to the Lord. Psalm 37, 4, which is your memory verse for this week, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we focus on our relationship with God and we're able to set a time aside and, 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 and intentionally be with our Lord, then he gives us the desires of our hearts. I love this image over here as I found it. It's God's timing is always better and it's not a clock, it's a compass. I thought that was a good image to recognize that, wait a minute, we, we're looking for a clock to tell us when we've arrived. And God's saying, follow me, <laughs> right? It's all he says is follow me because it's a journey. It's a following experience that we're always going to be following him. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into every man's heart. And yet, so that you cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has placed eternity in everyone's heart, and he knows what you want. And he's ready to reveal himself to you. He's ready to reveal himself to you along the journey. So let's discover true desire together. How many would eat at this restaurant? Trial and error. A unique dining experience right? But isn't that how we live our lives? We trial and error everything. And what God says, as you're discovering true desire, it's not about doing trial and error, which is man's way of learning. Yeah, you can learn a lot through trial and error, okay? But really, what God does and how he refines us in the transformation process, he uses trials and prayer. Not trial and error, but trials and prayer. That's God's way. And what we have to start recognizing is trials are not penalties. Amen. Amen. Trials are part of the season 
of the journey of winter, spring, summer, fall that just take us along the pathway that God says, I'm taking you with me. And that's the journey. Watch this. Watch this. This is James chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Why? Why am I going through this trial? Why am I struggling? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Watch. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. What does God want in our trials? Ask. Persevere. Include me. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. The trial's not a penalty. The trial's just part of the process. I'm with you. Ask me. Let me help you. Do you realize that, do you realize I'm in this with you? But yet we don't, and we continue to push aside because we don't want to recognize that God, why would God allow trials to happen? But he's even, yes, he loves us. And this is exactly what happens. Look at Exodus 3.12. We're going back to this journey of Moses. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go, Pharaoh, and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I'll be with you. Right? I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. He even gives him the promise and says, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to show you that you've arrived. I'm with you. I think that's why I, I think we have to acknowledge to one extent that as a people, we're so, I want, the, I want to resolve my desire right now. And, we're, and we, we just conditioned ourselves. We're hungry. We eat something. I'm thirsty. I drink something. I want to watch TV. I flip the TV on. I, anything that I want, I get. And so therefore, we just keep going. And God's saying, I'm over here too. I'm with you. So this last part is destiny and desire. What's the destiny in our desire? And I, and I, pull, I pulled this, this is one of my favorite songs, but, and uh, Clayton's going to play it at the end of the service so we don't take the time up today. But uh, um, this song, and as we go through this, uh, this three-month sabbatical um, as a church, is we have to recognize that God's life song that Tom's trying to find is the same life song that we're trying to find as a church. And it's not about what we do here on Sunday morning. It's about the impact and the relationships and the life that we have in our community. That's the, de the destiny that God has for us. It's a relationship. Guys, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be 24-7 worship. In singing, you're going to have a job. You're going to toil the land. Not toil, but you're going to work the land. All of what God intended in creation is going to be in heaven. So we have this concept that, oh, when I get to heaven, all I'm going to do is sing it on a harp and a cloud, and that's not biblical at all. Um, this is a Casting Crown song, Empty Hands Held I. And it's, written, it's actually written after uh, uh, Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2. Such small sacrifice, now joined with, with my life, I sing in vain tonight. May the words I say and the things I do the work of my hands, right? Moses in the ground, he's turning, he's tilling the ground, he's, he's shepherding in the sheep. Make my life song sing, bring a smile to you. 
That's what relationship's about. That's what the life that we sing is for. We, our life is to sing. I want to sign your name to the end of this day. Lord, let my heart be true. I think that's not right, but we'll see. I just cut it and pasted it. Um, let my love song sing to you. Lord, I give my life a living sacrifice to w- reach a world in need to be your hands and feet. So the, money, the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing, bring a smile to you. And I think the reality of this is we have, to this, con- we have this concept that, oh, I'm saved. Yay, when I get to heaven, I'll be at the destination and everything will be good. But yet God has a plan and a destiny for your purpose now here on earth where God's supposed to use you within your circle of influence to glorify him and he's able to, be, he's able to sing with you. As you're living your life and you're running a meeting and you're sitting in a meeting and you're doing your job and whatever God's called you to do and however he's gifted you, and that's the destiny. So as I started thinking about this, there's got to be, a, how, can we, how can I explain this? So I actually had Rob, Rob Simmons help create this slide for me. And it starts at the top. And this is your journey of life through the four seasons of winter, spring, summer, or fall. What do I want? It's different when you're a kid. Right? My second son's now pursuing a cell phone. His desire is, I want the cell phone. Right? <coughs> what do I want? Delay. Delay. What does God want? Discover where is God in the process, the step three, and the fourth step, destiny, where are we growing together? And then when you start to reach, you've reached this new level of growing in your destiny in this stage. Guess what? Winter, spring, summer, fall, just like the sunrise and sunset, it's going to happen again. You get a new desire. And the new desire is, what do I want? And then you have to wrestle with it and ask, what does God want? And then you come back under and you discover where is God and he's intimate with you in the process. You're discovering it, you're seeing it, you're learning to love God through that new process, that new satisfying, that contentment um, that God is helping you through. And then you start to grow together in this new destiny that you're living in this life. And then guess what? New desire, new season, Winter, spring, summer, fall, you're always going to have dry seasons. You're always going to have new life seasons. You're always going to have, it's not about the destination here on earth. It's the destination's there that just refines us in the process of transformation as we're willing to submit to the, the transformation process. So last side, we'll just spend a minute on this, is uh, um, the last part is God shows So many people of us want to know what is God doing in my life? How is God at work? And God actually shows us, and he actually shows Moses very specifically the next action steps. How many would you like to know what you want? Would you like to know what the next step you should take? You want to know what's the next step I'm supposed to take? I'm going to say, it starts with wonder. It starts with turning aside intentionality, intentionally turning aside, and then God will show you. He will sow in your heart. He knows your longings, and he will show you your next action steps. Let's see how very specifically he did this with Moses. In 13, he says, if I put Moses, you can have a conversation with God. He's relational. He has this conversation with God, and he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say? Right? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. He gives him his name. 
And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And that made sense to them. It doesn't make sense to us, but it makes sense to them, their culture. Now, what's verse 16? What's that? Go and, go and gather the elders. 16, verse 17. And I promise that I'll bring you up out of Egypt. Verse 18. And they will listen to your voice. Verse 19. But Pharaoh won't. Right? Very specific instructions came out of this process of Moses stepping aside and being solitude and listening to the Lord. And I think that's what we, we want to hear from God. We want to know what God's next step are, but are we willing to step through the process? Are we willing to take, allow him to be the one that transforms us through the trials of our lives? So step principle four, um, God directs your steps so others believe in him. You're living with him. Share his story. It's your story. It's his story. It's you're together. You're intimate with him. So this is what, this is my chance to give a little testimony about how God has worked in my life since coming here to New Covenant. Um, roughly almost two years ago, um, I didn't even realize this at, until I got into the, uh, I talked to Tom and Eric. I talk, I went, my page and I went through um, the, uh, the journey of what we went to uh, starting two businesses at the same time and recognizing how painful and how exhausting and overwhelming that was. And we said, we got to go to this emotional healing through the process and understanding it. But I didn't, I didn't want to. I'll be the first to admit, I had not, Bob and Jenny will agree, I didn't want to be there. Um, I, I didn't want to be a part of the process. Why? Because I didn't realize I was going through depression. I didn't even understand it. I was so blinded by my depression that I didn't even understand that I needed what was, what, what was being offered to me. And so what has happened in my journey is one morning, and I have it not in this folder. It'll be, it'll be my folder from two years ago. Two years ago. Um, I sat was reading in the book of Amos. I opened up my Bible, had an incredible time with the Lord before Sunday, before Sunday service, right? I was, it was, man, God was with me. I was like, so sometimes you read the word and it's like, eh, it's kind of dry, it's kind of boring. And there's sometimes like, whoa, I just encountered the living God. This is incredible. God is with me. This is so powerful. The words were just jumping off the page and just filling my soul. It was so powerful. Um, I can even vividly remember what, I, what, what the God said to me at that time. I'm sitting in this chair, because this is where I do my quiet time, sitting in a chair. I stand up, and I hear over my left shoulder. What's over my left shoulder? The wall. The, wall. <laughs> the lamp. It's a corner. I hear over, out of my left ear, I, somebody's got a text coming in. I hear out, that was my right ear. Um, I hear out of my left ear, Brett, when someone taps you on the shoulder and says, follow me, follow them. I'm like, okay, really? All right. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell Paige. I didn't tell anybody that's happened. So I came into worship service that Sunday morning and I was sitting right back there and Algers taps me on the shoulder. He says, Brett, the Lord's got a word for you. Follow me. I got goosebumps just telling the story. And I'm, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I walk back. Alger says, Brett, 
You know when you're reading the Word of God and the words just jump off the page at you? Two hours earlier, yeah, it just happened. And so I'm sitting here having this conversation with Algiers, and honestly, I'm still learning how to discern the Holy Spirit through the experiential, charismatic experience that you guys have here. It's not my way. It's not who I've made to be, but I'm open. Does that make sense? So I, I hear you. I, I want to say this to you, just like Tom expressed to you how he was like the reluctant contemplative. I'm the reluctant charismatic. All right? I don't have this as a very comfortable experience for me, but I'm open. And I believe what Alger said to me two years ago back there is why I'm standing here today. And so the connection of those two things happening, and, I, and again, another thing, this, this just happened two weeks ago, um, but uh, I was, did my devotion time, same thing. It didn't happen the same way, but I turned aside, right? I was, lo- I was looking for wonder. I, I experienced wonder in my devotion time, and I heard, Brett, be open. I'm like, okay, I'll be open. So Braxton came up to me that morning, and Braxton said, um, Brett, I got a word for me, and, and Jeff Julian were there. We both kind of went back there together, and he said, one of the things Braxton said to me was, I, and he was interpreting his, what he got from God, and I love, I love that young man. He's got a powerful um, gifting, and he, he said, Brett, friends are going to start coming around you. Ten minutes later, ten minutes later, David and Tiffany Youngquist, who are dear friends of ours, came up to me and said, Brett, Tiffany's got a word for you. And she's not even on the prophetic team. All right? And she came up and said, Brett, God, God, God has me to say something to you. And we went, her, David, and I went out in the foyer and we, and we talked for a little bit and she shared and I just want to testify that I believe, and I, I'm hearing this from Sam and in some of the conversation, that I believe God wants to marry the devotional life of the sacred rhythms that we're seeing in this book and God working through your own pursuit and um, uh, pursuit of seeking God in these new disciplines and the experiential reality of what God's doing in this body. And he wants to marry those two together so that more people will know. I guarantee you there's people here today that say, I don't even believe God works. God doesn't speak today. I can tell you, God speaks today. He works. He's alive. He is not a dead God. He's an alive God. And he's at work in your life, and he's ready to work. He's ready to speak to you. You just have to choose whether or not you're going to discipline yourself to be intentional. Now, this is not how you guys typically get prophetic words, but I'd like anybody who's under the age of 30 to stand up. (laughs) All right. While I was doing my devotions, this came to me this last couple weeks, and I want to read this word to you, and I believe it's a prophetic word over your life. My sons and daughters, you are called to be a light in a very dark season of this country. Behold, I am with you, and I am for you. My sons and daughters, listen. Turn aside and listen. 
Technology advances are a tool for good and for my gospel, but it also can be a distraction from my voice. I want to speak to you. I'm looking for the leaders of this generation who will learn to live in my holiness and lead themselves by setting boundaries. As you mature, you don't need your parents to set boundaries for you. Notice I said, as you mature. As you mature, you don't need your parents to set boundaries for you. I'm asking you to set boundaries for yourself. Turn aside, and I'll speak to you. I will lead you, for I am with you. Thus saith the Lord. You may be seated. All right, let's finish up. So, God has a plan for desire in every season of our lives. Be ready for wonder. Turn aside. Seek God with each of these tools that sacred rhythms come out of this book. And then we grow into our life song. We grow into this new song that's going to be birthing out of us as a congregation and as individuals. And we grow into the destiny that we're called to right now in this season. And then as God continues to work on this journey, he'll give new desires. He'll delay. You'll, you'll pursue him in delay. He'll, you'll help discover intimacy with him. And then you'll step into that destiny even again and again and again and again. And the cycle and the rhythm of life will just continue around. It will not stop. So next Sunday um, is June 12th, and uh, Eric and I are going to do a Q&A. A lot of times people will say to me as I do these solitudes, because now I do one every quarter. I do three days every quarter, and I'm just in a position in my life and a season of my life, and this is different for everybody. So please understand, I want, we want those kind of questions. You're like, I am a college student. How do I do this? I'm a, I got young kids at home. How do I do this? And I think we want to do some questions. So Somebody's going to have to help me because I'm not very Facebook savvy, but um, we need to put it on the Facebook page. And if people want to start putting questions out, Eric and I will have some questions that we've already come up with but to lead the conversation. But we want your guys' questions on this process. And anything's fair game to help us understand and dig in this little whole concept of solitude and the countercultural reality that it is and how hard it is to do something like this. So that'll be next, that'll be next, uh, next Sunday. And then this is your action plan. So uh, schedule in this month, this is going to be awkward, it's countercultural, but it's intentional. Schedule in this month when we do our, fa- our media fast, um, three hours of solitude and silence. Okay, where you are alone with God. Don't take your cell phone. Go walking in nature without your cell phone. Listen for birds singing, animals and insects living without interruption. Watch a sunset. What signs of new life are you seeing? And when you see this and you spend time with God this way, then pay attention to desire. Pay attention. Don't take a water bottle with you. That's a long time. Three hours is a long time to not drink something. But maybe, maybe, maybe if, if your health can handle it, please don't do something unhealthy. Um, but hunger, any desire, pay attention to it. Be alert and turn aside when you experience wonder. Write down God, what, what God says in the stillness. Don't expect the answer to be immediate. It typically takes time. It's a journey. The seed planted in, in the spring doesn't produce fruit immediately. Um, here, journal Psalm 37, memorize 37, Psalm 37, verse 4, and then read chapter 1 in Sacred Rhythms book. So let me pray.
Uh, Father God, you are with us, you are for us, and you are good. Thank you for this time this morning where we could come together as a body and as we could just hear from you and know that you're the God that desires to uh, just transform us, to be, help us to become more like you. And so God, we surrender. It's hard to desire and not meet those desires right away. So God, I ask, Father, that you will just uh, meet us, the intimate God that you are, you'll meet us right where we need to be met. And as we just seek you, Lord, you'll just call us into the new destiny that you're calling us to. We give you glory, we give you praise, and we thank you in Jesus' name.